Hello and welcome everybody. Hopefully you can see and hear me. Welcome to this episode of Dan Assel podcast. Uh, we're live on Friday. Um, hopefully you can see me if uh, people can give me some sort of uh, comment and let me know that you're here. That would be absolutely appreciated. So I can see myself on LinkedIn. So I think we're there. So um, before my guest joins me, my special guest today, I just want to thank you all for watching. Uh, thank you all for watching my videos as well. Um, remember, you can watch all of my content on YouTube, Facebook, um, Apple and Spotify and audio, and also follow me on Twitter. Just search Dan Assor. Um, Just want to thank all of my community patrons for their support. Hive Group, Tarsus, uh, 19 Group, SISO, and Easy Fares. So without um, further ado, I'm going to introduce my special guest, who's Andrew Evans, um, MD of Thorough Events. Morning, everybody. Very good. Happy Friday to you. Did that introduction work? Look, there you go. We, we actually got you on straight away on cue. How are you today? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah, it's Friday. It's stopped raining. What's not yeah. to love? Uh, well, absolutely. I'm staring out of a very sunny window. So um, thank you so much for joining. Um, I think we've got quite a few people on today, so that's really good. Thank you, everyone. So, Andrew, we've got a, a bit to get through. Uh, a light, light-hearted chat and discussion. Keep it nice and positive for all of our, our viewers out there today. Um, just to say as well, guys, if you have to drop out the conversation, you can watch the full show uh, on demand on this event page. So um, we've got about 30 to 45 minutes because I've got to go and pick up a dog, as Andrew knows. So I've got to head to Lancashire, so that should be fun. That is within the rules. Um, Andrew, you have been in the industry... And I've got sort of a resume here from your LinkedIn profile. For many years, I think it says... That's, 30... a, kind, that's a kind way of putting it. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it says 30 plus, but I don't know when you put this on LinkedIn, so it could have been many years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> you've been doing lots of different things. You work for some of the top organisers. You've done a, a, a load of different events. What drives your passion? First off, I like to ask my guests what, what and what keeps you going. For yeah, this I mean, I think, I think passion is a really overused word in the same way that entrepreneur is. But 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 to, the answer to the question is, I fell into this event world like most people do. Sure. Um, I should add that you know, without giving too many sort of years away, that the internet was not present. Computers when I first I joined Montgomery actually, I think it was 1985. We had one computer, <laughs> um, right. we had a telex machine. So I kind yeah. of traversed through the digital age. But but there's no question that the reason to stay in the sector, at least by the reason that I've found, is the reward that it brings. And by that, we all know not, not necessarily financial. It's much more of an emotive thing. And sure. I just adore working with positive, spirited people who are in the business of creating experiences. And it doesn't matter whether it's a trade show or a consumer show. Uh, there is nothing that can usurp the experience of pre-open night when the fairies come into the hall, you know, sprinkle their magic dust and turn carnage into a beautiful setting in the next morning. And yeah. then there's this emotive thing about spending two, three, and when I started, it were five-day trade shows I was working on with the International Food Exhibition. And, and then at the end of it, you, you watch it being ripped to pieces by your contractors. And you think, oh, shit. Um, but, um, but then you go again. And it's, I suppose 
it's a bit crass to say it, but I rather like the showmanship of it all, to be honest with you, bringing people together, yeah. giving them great experiences. Yeah, no, absolutely agree. And I think vast majority of my guests say the same thing, really. I think also if you're going to be in an industry for so long, um, you've got to enjoy what you do, right? As you yeah, say. You to, uh, my, yeah. my, my, my thing is you have to metaphorically want to skip to work. This is not about dragging <laughs> your carcass on a train, yeah. getting there, watching a clock. This is, this is it's, I suppose, the event world consumes you such that it's an omnipresent part of your life. It, there are no borders, no boundaries, uh, because often that's what's required to get stuff done. So, so yeah, and actually, um, you know, I've, I've met some amazing people, and it's true to say that over 30-plus years, you form really great friendships with people, long-lasting friendships. Yeah. And by and large, the community that we work in are centred around good human beings. Yeah. Greed is not king, um, and they tend to look after each other. And actually, we've seen more of that, I think. That, you know, if there is a, a positive to come out of casting our eyes back to March, we've seen yeah. some great behaviours amongst some people in our sector. And, I, I, you know, that's that kind of reminds me of why I do what I do or why I've done what I've done for as long as I have. Yeah, I think I agree with you. Me personally, you know, the last six months or three months of doing this sort of thing, I've met, when I say met, obviously I haven't met them in person. You know, we've never met, but we've spoken a few times and that it runs true with so many people that I've met on this platform or others. Um, and they've been so kind and, and so passionate about what they do. We're going to, you were very... Um, I, I'm going to say privileged. You might say you might say not um, to run um, a couple of different events last year, right? When most of us, well, pretty much all of us, everyone I know, couldn't. Um, I guess specifically because they're outdoors. Can you um, just bring to life um, the events that Thorough Events produce? Because I know they're slightly different. Um, and yeah, if you start with that, and then we will talk about how you managed to get them up and running. Okay, so yeah, I don't want to drown people in detail, but I no, think sure. there is a very important context. In my time, I've worked on, I think, across pretty much every platform there is. So be yeah. it B2B, be it consumer, be it international, domestic, whatever. And, and you would categorize what we do as consumer event organizing, but it's consumer with a slight twist in the sense that uh, we run um, Concours, which are competitions for, in this instance, privately owned, very rare, consequently very valuable automobiles, yeah. cars. Okay. So so it's a bit like, I suppose the parallel is a bit like a curator of a, an art gallery. If the cars are art, uh, we choose to place them in the most amazing settings. We're very fortunate as a business to have a lot of trust around some extraordinary venues, not least of which is the Royal Household. So we, we have run and do utilise from time to time royal estates, including oh, the, Royal, the Royal Household. So Windsor Castle, inside Windsor Castle. I mean, that's truly coveted space. Yeah. So, so uh, the answer to the question is we're consumer event organisers specialising in rare cars and the communities that engage themselves in that subject, in that collecting field. Okay, and um, as I said, you were able to put on your, I think, two shows, um, for want of a better word, last year, maybe August and September, um, in these fantastic venues. Now, obviously, at the time, and I've got in front of me, well, half of it's on the floor, actually, a load of, a load of um, the all-secure standard guidelines. 
which uh, clearly not going to run through line by line because that would be very dull, but um, nevertheless quite important. Um, can you bring to life and give um, our viewers watching the sort of learnings that you took from that and what you sort of had to do and then also the appreciation, because I know we spoke about beforehand, for the operational teams that had to implement these rules, if you like, and regulations? Yeah, so we started the year, at least, no, we started the year believing that things would be normal, that we would have a June tenancy at the Honourable Artillery Company in the city for our London Concours, and that, you know, three months later, we would be at Hampton Court Palace in their beautiful gardens, uh, running running the Concours of Elegance, which is our flagship. Uh, of course, that all changed, and, and, and we got together in March and did some really difficult navel gazing and the, and, the, and the subject of the conversation was very simply the choices so right now uh, we were faced or then we were faced with some pretty bleak financial options do we not run these shows do we hunker down hope that the, the vicious wind will blow over and that things will return to normal in 21 um, that inevitably would lead to a tremendous financial loss for the business because it's overhead uh, and no revenue at that point. Um, what Do we assume an opportunity to run the shows probably through deferring the dateline, which is actually, of course, what we ended up doing with the London Concours, which was scheduled to be in the first week of June. And then if we were to run these two events, what on earth would the impact of trying to navigate a COVID environment and a very depressed environment look like? So we, did the tough bit first, which was to write some pretty awful budget assumptions. And <laughs> none of them, none of them assumed we were going to run the bath with acid milk, by the way. But what we felt was what that even, I've never heard that. <laughs> my Roman background. Um, but 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 what it what it meant was that we were faced with some choices really. If enabled to run these events, what would they look like financially as a business? You have to consider that. What's the merit, therefore, in going ahead? And we felt that for continuity's sake, if we were able to go ahead, then then we should, particularly around the London show, because it was only three years in the making. So, it, you know, if we drip, drop out for a year, you're kind of gone at that point. And an awful lot of blood, sweat and finance have gone into launching and, and, and creating that event. So, so that was the first thing. Uh, the second thing then was to navigate the environment that we found ourselves in. And I have to say there are, there are a few sort of streams that run through this, one of which is collaboration. And there is no question that without the collaboration of the venue uh, and of individual contractors associated with our event, we wouldn't have been able to run this. I had a, um, I had a it wasn't an epiphany, it was more a moment of an eruption really around a, a, a cup of tea over breakfast, watching the news, seeing that at the time, and I think it was around May time uh, that the government had permissioned public markets to open. And it, it caused me to have an excitement, but then to be really cross because I thought, actually, that's a bit irresponsible. You know, public markets are places very similar to what we do. They're, they're, they're public spaces in which a buyer meets a seller to transact, hopefully, around a subject matter. But the difference between what public markets offered and what we did was that we were able, under a very controlled environment, to manage the number of people that were coming, to trace where those people were coming from, and to act responsibly. And I suppose that was the impetus, that was the driver that, that made me say, right, we, we're getting on with this, we're gonna find a way of doing this. 
And I hope we come on to talk about mindset later, but there is no question that without, um, and in my instance, it was a bloody mindset. I was just, I will make this happen. I've just seen something that I don't necessarily agree with, but if that is the rule, then I'm gonna find a way to adapt my event to enable it to run. And, and of course, the first stage there was to call the venue, talk to the HAC, talk to Rowan, who was magnificent throughout, and her team throughout all of this and say, look, I, I, I can't foresee a June dateline being real, but could you please look at some options for me to run later in the year? And we, we in the end, settled on a dateline in August when traditionally, of course, the world would be resting or abroad, but we figured that that wouldn't be the case last year. So, so with the collaboration of the venue, um, who in turn took what I slightly, I look back now and I think, well, it's a bit laughable, but it, I called it a blueprint. It was a piece of A4 paper on which over that cup of tea, I described all the things I thought I would have to do to enable this to happen, all of the protocols. And I shared that with the venue and then we crafted a plan. And that plan through the venue was shared with the local authority and in turn all of the agencies that we deemed necessary to be able to open the doors and not fear a knock on the door and an unwanted, you can't go ahead. So, so the first lesson there, I suppose, is we took our proposition to the authorities rather than hoping that the authorities didn't, I suppose, in some way um, discover things that we were doing that we didn't, they didn't like. And there were, there were many things that came out of that. The first, and I suppose the most impactful one, was in and around capacities. Um, so, so we have a footprint in that venue of give or take, I think it's five and a half acres. And the venue gave us a, a, a calculation that, that said that we could have 1800 people at any one time. And our show's quite transient. So people come, it's a two hour well time, possibly three if you're having lunch and being entertained and then they leave. So that doesn't mean we were bound to 1800 people a day. But it did mean that set against the previous incarnations of the event where we'd had sort of three, four thousand people a day, we were going to have to adjust our mindset. Secondly, we were going to have to get used to some different modelling and the, particularly the modelling around hospitality, because we were used to serving, you know, some really fantastic three course plated meals, waiter service, champagne receptions yeah. and all that. Had got the mingling, yeah. <coughs> all the mingling of well, people. Yeah. Exactly. So, yeah. so um, of course, if you're working as we do with a champagne partner, they want to make sure that the guest experience is as rewarding for their brand as it is for our own. Sure. And it's quite hard um, in hospitality in that environment to create a genuine feel of hospitality, because what you're trying to do is minimise the interaction between staff and guests. And what that ultimately results in is the guest doing a lot of the, uh, I suppose, the legwork themselves. Yeah. So, so in crude terms, we presented a marquee that would under normal circumstances have hosted about 450 guests. We were permissioned to have about 126 in there. Uh, so, so around yield, it's a horror story. But, but what we then had to consider was how we would deliver an exemplary food service proposition. And we chose to do so through bento boxes. I don't know if you've come across these, but we worked really hard with the uh, hospitality caterer, CSCs, who, who were brilliant produce the most stunning four course meal in a box. And then we presented that to our guests. They, those boxes were already placed at tables when guests were seated. So all of the experiences changed around us. And there are some things that kind of came out of that process that we would choose now to adopt irrespective of a pandemic environment. 
yeah. which is a good thing. Yeah, I think I think um, you're right. I think what also strikes me there is obviously innovation. So we're going to have to be innovative as we move forward um, because also it's going to be a different environment for our visitors or if they're trade show uh, organisers listening, delegates. And ordinarily, um, the you know where people eat food, catering, VIP lounges is where really people congregate. So that's going to be quite an interesting dynamic about how when we go back to live, whether it's outdoors or indoors, people want to meet and eat and drink and that sort of stuff. And actually, typically, in my experience, on trade shows specifically, that's where business is done. So I think you're right. It's about collaboration, isn't it? Working with the venues, local authorities, government, um, your exhibitors, and also um, and also visitors. So in your, in your experience of those events, in terms of the feedback from uh, visitors about some of the features like catering or anything else, I know it was outside, but were they receptive were they because i'm just thinking about mobilizing how do we mobilize visitors going forward in terms of instilling yeah. confidence well and it was a considerable challenge because you know if i tell you that that well our model is not predicated on high audience attendance sure. so so it's a bit complicated but give or take 70 percent of the guests that come come because they've been invited by our partners that's okay. my metaphor for sponsors. So therefore, unlike a lot of consumer events, which the success of which is predicated on vast audience gate revenue, that was not the primary concern. Uh, and that was very helpful to us in this environment, as was the fact that we were outdoors. Um, the, the truth of the matter is that there were so many people that didn't believe that we were going to run these events. Yeah. Um, because up until that point, I hadn't seen any. I think there was a uh, there was a very credible event that took place about a week before us in Peterborough, caravan event. Um, but certainly in and around the automotive scene, everything had been cancelled. The calendar had been wiped clean. And we found ourselves in a situation where um, news media weren't prepared to do previews around our event because they simply didn't believe it was going to happen. Yeah. I should add, we created something that we then um, we are now branding in the sense, which is a, a COVID promise, which means that were any uh, was there any likelihood of us having to um, cancel the show, we would refund vested parties, be that audience, right. be that commercial parties. That would have killed us, by the way. But we were going to do it when it was a promise that we hold true going into this year's yeah. cycle as well. Um, but when the audience got there, I've got to tell you, uh, at both events, there was, uh, and I haven't seen this before in anything like the measure, there was a palpable excitement, yeah. a palpable also, a palpable appreciation that, that we had given them something that they craved to engage in for so long. They'd been bereft of so yeah. much social activity. But in this area, and this area is a genuine subject matter interest which is passion it's passion led you don't collect cars unless you're passionate about that subject then 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 we gave them something uh, that tapped into their their um i suppose their positive emotions and they were really appreciative really appreciative so i think also yeah you make a good point obviously that's a specialist market but personally and people i talk to more and more if you're running any sort of event now the reasons to attend have to be really, really high and obvious. You know, if you're going to assume any element of risk, and this is by from a company perspective, delegate exhibitors, then you have to understand what you're going to get back in return. So the days of just 
ambling a, a, across a show. I'm not saying are over, but you really have to understand what's in it for you. And I think one of the positives that come out of this is going to force organisers to be ever more creative with the creation of their events. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I'd, I'd like to come on to that a bit later because okay. I think that that plays to. And by the way, I'm not Nostradamus. Anyone who knows me will know that that is true. I, I, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't have any more gift than the next person in the street. Yeah, all long beard. <laughs> well, <laughs> in the Bible, they say that people with a beard are wise. So um, who knows? Oh, that's, that's, a whole different, that's a whole different. Um, fair <laughs> enough. We'll, we'll get on to that. Um, I know, Andrew, you talk a lot. I've heard a lot about um, your, you speak about mindset. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, you know, um, if we're going to get back to doing what we want to do, having a mindset that allows us to do that. Can you just explain for the viewers what, what you mean by that? Well, I, I think that there are, um, and we faced it, there are, um, there were obvious choices, batten down the hatches and hope that your cash reserves would enable you to, you know, survive or take risk. And, and, and risk taking is part of, I think, a necessary mindset in circumstances su such as these. So it's true to say that, you know, trying to, to go ahead with so many external factors that influence your capability to run your product, your event, and to what degree um, mean, means that you've got to have an element of risk-taking about you. But you've also got to be immensely determined because you're in for a battle. Now, I, I, I should add really quickly that I feel so much empathy for all of the people that I've met over the years who are in our industry, some of whom are having to force to force to leave it, uh, and some of them that don't have the privilege of being able to run events right now. And, and my heart genuinely goes out to them. And if there's anything that comes from this that might help them, then that will be a good thing. Yeah. Uh, so I don't take any of it for granted. I am fortunate, but I do think that what you do is create your own luck as well, because you need the right mindset. But the mindset that really captured, I suppose, the key months for me um, came from different quarters and unexpected quarters. So to start with, we're all in this together. I remember receiving phone calls from so many people. Yeah. Um, you could call them friends because they are, but that's, many of them are, are in you know consumer event organizing space. So you could also call them competitors and just say, how are you? you know, and sharing experiences. And that talks to the nature of the people that I think work in the event world, by and large, they're very good, wholesome, hearted people. And, 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 and that's a great thing to fall back on. Uh, secondly, there is this can-do attitude. And I remember running into Chris Hughes, who seemed to turn every one of his events that were previously music and food based into a cinema and good on him. But he, what he said was, this is like running water. It's going to travel somewhere and I don't have the luxury of not running my business. So yeah. I'm going to change the way we do things. And as a consequence, I think Chris ran 13 events over the summer. I mean, he was, he was run absolutely ragged, but he showed a determination and a spirit and a mindset that said, there is no choice. I'm going to do this. Um, and then you get the benevolent uh, approach, which, I was struck by Lou Kawanaka with her obsness that she started right at the start of it. Yeah. I, I met Lou, funnily enough, I, my last social engagement was at Confex and I met Lou there and we promised to, to have a cup of coffee. Uh, and I thought, I, I instantly thought, I like, I like Lou, I like this lady. And then I saw what she was doing and my God, what, you know, what a tonic 
for people who are at home struggling in real dire circumstances to be able to reach out to a community in that context of operations staff yeah. Uh, teams and so you're not alone and here's how we can here's how we can navigate through this so so around mindset what I'm driving at is it's not one particular mindset that will enable you to succeed but but you need you do need to be very overtly conscious about having to have a cup half full and not half empty and uh, I think the will to continue and just carry on is really, really important. It's helped, by the way, because I've got a son who's right now studying, well, not studying, he's training to be a Royal Marine. He's in week oh, 12. Right. So if I think anything I do is hard, yeah. well, well, on occasions I speak to him, I get to understand mine's a breeze. <laughs> yeah. We'll have to get him on. He can he can do a sort of physical training session. Uh, <laughs> um, I think you're right with mindset, and actually that goes for all levels and all rungs um, of the ladder, I think, regardless of where you're at um, in any organisation. Because if you're in sales, you've got to have a really positive mindset if you're going to convince an exhibitor or a brand or a sponsor to come on board, right? I think generally in life, people, you know, want to be, they want to be, you know, hear people that are upbeat and actually have confidence about what they're doing. Um, I'm not saying just take it to the nth degree, but, you know, and it has to be authentic, but I think that's really going to help. Yeah, you spoke about a Chris Hughes, uh, you know, a CEO level or an owner level. But what I'm saying, even from an ops level, um, in terms of a junior ops or junior marketing or junior sales or whatever, I think everyone has to try and have that mindset. Would you agree? Sort of. Yeah, totally. And actually, you know, I discovered something. I don't spend too much time looking inwardly, but I did discover that throughout all of this, my cup was half full rather than half empty. I didn't know that. Actually, yeah. I'd got no reason to question it. But I tell you, when, when when we announced the postponement of the dateline for our first London event, um, I, I had to go naturally back to a number of contracted sponsors and partners. And a whole raft of them said, it's lovely that you've got the uh, willingness and the capability to do this, but we're not coming. And the whole conversation at that point around you're in a contractual arrangement went to dust because they just said we're not coming out. In some cases, our our companies won't permit our staff to engage in this activity. So um, getting up every day and and trying to convince people that this is a good thing and that it will be positive and yep. the experience will be rewarding is really important. So but and, and that goes across the patch. And you see me. I don't have a green screen. You see this study that I come to every yep. day. My commute's about three meters. And at times, I can't pretend that it's easy sitting in here doing this stuff. It's not for anybody, but you've got to have the right mindset to yeah. be able to get through it all. Tell me about it. If I wanted to spin my camera around, which if I tried to, it would probably explode. You could probably see my bed behind me, but um, <laughs> okay, that's, that's another show as well. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you have to. You know, get up, you do this, you sit in a room for 15 hours a day, and you, you have to try and be positive. Um, okay, so you ran the shows. We have got a vaccine on the way, which is fantastic. Um, and we all believe, talking about mindset, that we're going to get back to doing what we want to do sooner rather than later. We touched on it before and you're going to speak about it now. Talk to me about your views. And I know you're not Nostradamus. We've established that. But in terms of shows of the future, all different shapes and sizes, do you want to give us your, your view of what they might look like, how we mobilise people, you know, that, that sort of thing? It'd be really good to get your 
impression of the future? Yeah, I, so I think the first thing to, to talk about is the lead into into the recovery and yeah. whether whether we choose to like it or not, there are some marked advantages that come out of our last nine, ten months. One one of them is this this focus on screen time and the fact that communities have been built throughout that period. You're doing one here, right? So you're creating a community that did not exist and probably would not have been created in your normal working life were it not for the circumstances that we're in. Yeah. And, and I think communities are, are quite key. There is screen fatigue, I'm certain of that. And there's, a, there's an immense, the flip side of that is there's an immense hunger to get back to interacting yeah. with social animals. But whilst we're not able to do that, taking the circumstances that we're in to your advantage is really important. So, so we're a consumer show, it's therefore, it's, LinkedIn is not a platform for us, but what we chose to do was to use Instagram TV, and we would never have done that before, but to maintain a relevant, and that's important, but a relevant dialogue with our audience. So we took through Instagram TV, uh, a number of experiences. We took people from their desks, into private collections, car collections they never would have seen before with obviously the help and willingness of an owner in California, in Spain, etc. So, so what we were doing was maintaining a relevant dialogue, giving them an experience that they valued and associating it with, well, you'll see this collection if you come to our event in September. Yeah. And what we were doing underneath all of that, which is obvious to anyone, is building data. And, and there can't have been a greater need to build data. There isn't because of the vast rotation of people, sadly, in their roles. Most of the data pools, I would imagine, that, that existed in March are useless. So, mm -hmm. so maintain a relevant dialogue with your customer base. Build a data asset that will enable you, when the plane comes out of the hangar, it will enable you to take off. Uh, and I think that's really important. And it's not all bad. I do have a concern about, it's not a concern, it doesn't keep me awake, but I, I do think that there is an overload of content. And I think that there within that, there's an opportunity. I think content's omnipresent. Um, relevance of content is really important. I think that when it comes back to particularly trade show environments, I think there's something that, good that might come out of this because we might be able to create really high value content for which people are more prepared to pay. So, so to use the content in our events as a revenue stream. I saw this week that um, Centaur Media, who I used to run their events, have, have, have replaced their Festival of Marketing, which is an immense experience yeah. for a thousand marketeers over three days into online offerings. But they are very boldly, you know, and their content's amazing, by the way, but they're charging for it, 180 pounds for a three day pass to a digital event. And I think if, you, if the quality of the content matches the value proposition people will pay for it so i think that's a, that's a good thing but in and around what, what we do and i'm going back to trade shows as opposed to consumer shows specifically yeah. there is going to be a massive emphasis on experience because you don't want just to come and learn and anyway in the last 10 months people have been learning online so that's not a compelling reason unless the content really rich but they will come away if you get it right with a with a fantastic emotive experience and i've always even when i was running trade shows wanted to create this kind of holy moment when uh, a lady or a man go back they come to an event that i run they go back home 
they have dinner with their partner and they say what a great time they had. Not one effective time, but what a great time they had. Sorry, did so, they come to, show, to the show together and go home or were they? <laughs> well, they're all. They didn't go home together, you know, that they met at the show. I was just getting a bit confused. <laughs> no, I'm just talking about referring to an experience yeah. that you got at yeah. a train show, which might traditionally not be that exciting, yeah. but, but referring to it because you've had such a great time. And I think that the yeah. experience level of what we do will have to rise hugely. Yeah. because, and, and I also think, and it's obvious, but long gone are the days where we'll be talking about the credibility of thousands of attendees the numbers are irrelevant. It'll be who those people are. It'll yeah. be the quality of interaction that they get and the quality of, of experience that they get. That's what's going to drive the future. L long before COVID, there was a there was a gentle but rapidly accelerating movement uh, towards regionalization rather than globalization. Yeah. I don't think that's gone away. I think it will be accelerated. And, and so possibly the modeling going forward will be much more regionally advantage than it would be running blockbuster shows that people fly to Las Vegas for because I'm not sure that that is going to happen for a while and, and the yeah. travel aspect is another is, an, is yeah. another obvious thing to tap into. No you're absolutely right and I think obviously you know international travel possibly still going to be compromised for a period of time so um, I think the likes of Mobile World Congress are now going regional um, and as you say, some of the other shows as well. I mean, obviously CES, which is on this week or was on a few days ago, is online. Um, interesting point that you make about data sets. I mean, we all have attended virtual events and webinars. Um, and I think personally, um, that sort of in between the physical events, they can be used to to keep dialogue with the community and build data. Would you agree with that? Yeah, totally. Uh, as long as there's relevance running through it. And, and my concern around the omnipresence of content yeah. is that some of it, frankly, is worthless. And, and you can be caught up in a fog uh, that creates create screen fatigue. And uh, uh, a good friend of mine who won't be watching this, so it's fine, is senior. He's, well, he's a school friend and he's very senior in Facebook. He said yeah. to me, I'm sick and tired with screens. I want to get to an event. <laughs> well, <laughs> what, what more to say? If you tell me his name, I'll send him the video afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> and then never speak to you again. What sort of advice? I know we sort of spoke about this in the mindset, but in terms of people listening, what sort of advice have you got for them in terms of the return to life? Um, whether that be from operational, marketing, you know, sales. Do you have any sort of sage words that people might, you know? I don't think I have an insight into the trade world because no, I'm, not anyway. I'm not in it right now. I do a bit of consulting around trade businesses, but so, but I wouldn't confess to be a trade expert and know the mindset uh, that's that's taking place there. But I think it starts with with, with an interpersonal survival guide. My interpersonal survival guide is centered around trying to be happy. And there are some things that will enable that and there are some that will not. Sure. So, so I'm very conscious about taking a, taking a diet around news. You know, it ain't much, there's nothing uplifting, it's rather insular, so I diet on news, I don't, I don't bathe in it. Um, social media, I fast around. So when, when the moment's right, I consciously dip into social media. Um, I think it's a useful tool, but I don't want it to be my crutch. Uh, sure. And if there's anything to overindulge in, it's, you know, drown in customer contact because you'd be amazed, even if you're getting negative responses as, as I am 
to sales proposals, you're having a dialogue, you're interacting with people and you're understanding how they feel and what the landscape looks like. So if there's any recommendation across the patch, and that's not just a sales related statement, pick up the phone, don't dial, don't use your keyboard, pick the phone up and talk to people. You'd be amazed how rewarding that can be. Uh, and and it, will, it will enable you to understand a great deal more than you ever could glean from a keyboard. That's that's the truth of it. So whether you're operationally facing, revenue facing, whether you're in finance, talk to your customers. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And some people have commented uh, about resilience. Corby's commented here, resilience is key. Jay agrees with you. Uh, Martin Clark made a good point about lateral flow tests, how we get back to people being confident of going into a venue because normal COVID tests obviously might take a, a bit of time to come to come back so that's that's going to instill confidence as well um in terms of uh, events that you're looking forward to attending um obviously your own but uh what what events haven't you been able to get to whether it's a hobby interest whatever that you really like to to be going to in the future um do you know i i, I launched a show that was that was a rival to confex so that so that i might say confex would feel yeah. odd actually convex I, because it's our community it's our people i spent two days there um back in february and and the serendipity of interaction and seeing people I haven't seen for years sharing experiences so i i long for the idea that our own event marketplace might re-emerge and i think it i think it will by the way it, yeah. will, it will take time but i think it will um i want to get to an awards and see people happy because of the great work that they've done yeah, uh, I've, I've got two submissions still in the 2019 shortlist, 2019 Exhibition News Awards. I'm thinking, bugger, I, I, they'll have forgotten the shows existed. Uh, but I was hopeful that I might pick one up, I, you know, you could yeah. hope, dream. But going to an event where I can see uh, celebration yeah. around, around the good work that our, our sector does is, is the answer. I, I want to go to competitive events because it's not a hardship for me i'm going to car events i you know i'm interested in cars so that's, that's not a bad thing either although there won't be very many um because most of them are, are are predicated by an audience volume that's really difficult to manage in a covid safe way so so yeah that doesn't really answer your question does it but i've tried no, no, i mean it does I mean, you, you, you know you've got an interest in in specialist um shows and that's fantastic i speak to people that want to go to rock concerts Yes, someone else wants to see their son play rugby. I guess the common thread that runs throughout this is the interaction, right? Whether it's with a small group, big group of big group of people. So, um, Andrew, it's been fascinating talking to you today. Um, thank you, everyone that's watching. I think, um, you know, the takeaways from this, as we all know, and we all have tried to be um, over the last few months, is be resilient, speak to people, um, collaborate um and you know we're not too far away i believe from getting back to to what we did we we, we want to do or at least actually be able to talk about you know roadmap to uh to the future um so thank you andrew i really appreciate 